right, well, welcome back to the Blue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Bran. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKBlueGuysNetsDaily.com. Almighty Baller Podcast. iTunes. Give us ratings. Five stars. We love it. We want it. We need it. Give us ratings. Did Wait. you hear how flat that was? That you know we've been away from for holiday break when you when I come in that flat. Yeah, we took while both of us were probably all in New York. We both took a break. Yeah, we we felt like we deserved yeah. it. We've worked so hard this year. Um, it was a, it was a rough road trip until the very end. So now like we get read off a couple of wins. Uh, lose a a close one to Boston. You know, in a in a, one of those silver linings. En- encouraging a loss. <laughs> the silver lining losses we're, we're all about um and we're here for the big w hit the hit the drop hit the new drop oh, okay here it comes folks all right get ready for this one and you try to tell me what this means here we go yeah oh. boy <laughs> you can stop whenever yeah i can't hear this so i don't no we're riding this out we're riding this out <laughs> this is the good part still going All right, we're getting to the end here. <laughs> All right, that's was, Brian's. That's his New Year was drop. It a, was it a party? Since we're on Skype, I can't hear. But I just wanted to treat you guys to a party. You know, it's a New Year, big W. You You're know, going to hear like that after every Nets win. Now, I think. Um, yeah, Brian guy, big. I mean, it was. You know, like this is sort of the thing that we're talking about. If they had lost this game, we would have been disheartened. And they got the W. They played defense to win the W. Um, Alan Crabb. Did you see Alan Crabb's quotes about? I did. About how he needs to be respected for playing more defense. I don't know. It's getting to him, man. I don't know. I think the pressure is getting to him a little bit, which is surprising. I went back and I watched a little bit of Crabb footage. And I have a theory about Alan Crabb. Oh, I'd love to hear it. That's not really a theory. It's just it's just my my perspective on what is currently frustrating him so much. And it just appears to me, <laughs> not by, by not my eye test, yeah. that not only is it that, but he's having a really hard time getting open. He doesn't. He doesn't. Um, the 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 he, he works very hard to not get very far away from his defender. They don't bite on his V cuts. He can't shove off them. It just feels like his defender is always right up in his shirt the entire game, and he works real hard to get the littlest bit of space. And otherwise, he has to be like wide open to make a shot. Um, so it seems like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. He just like take cuts better, like make smarter cuts to the rim. Like, I don't, I don't know what, yeah, I think it's just, it's just that it's so obvious when they're running sort of the Kyle Korver play for Alan Crabb, where it is the same way for Joe Harris, but Joe Harris more drives to the basket than Alan Crabb does. That's, I'm not that Joe Harris is better than Alan Crabb right now, but I I think it's, or it's like, maybe he like. He doesn't save the extra burst coming out of that last cut, like or after that last screen. Like you know, like Joe Harris will like save that last little like unexpected burst of speed and like <laughs> yeah. come careening off that, come around the corner. Like um, Crab doesn't have that that next gear. Like the 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 defender has a pretty steady beat on him. It seems. Well, it's almost like once he receives the ball, Alan Crab dubs. He's gonna try to put up the shot where you have to sort of make that next move. You have to catch the ball and then do another diversion attempt to get back into the screen or step back even more there you have to make another move to get even further away from the defender where i think he receives the ball and tries to put it up and you're right a defender is always right there um mm-hmm. i need to look at the stats because like you can look up how close defenders are when you shoot and your shooting percentage um wow and i wonder and so this year you'd have to say that 
I'm sure defenders are clinging to him more than they've ever clung to him in his career just for the simple fact that he's not playing with McCollum and Lillard, that he's playing with, while we love them, Dinwiddie and Lavert. Um, so, like, yeah. he's just not getting as much space. There are still open shots that he's missing. And I think it's sort of like the accumulative effect of having tougher shots. So when you do have an open shot, you can almost see him thinking, all right, I got to make this. I have to hit these because if I don't hit these, what is my value um, type thing? But then he did play good defense. Like, legitimately, he was good defensively in or- against Orlando. Um, I was worried that you weren't going to give him credit for being a good defender. That was my concern. He is. He's all the makings, right, of being a good defender. And I love <laughs> – don't you – I mean, it's good that he at least recognizes the fact that if he's not shooting the well, ball well, I'm going to try other things. A lot of, guys, hey, a lot of fr- shooters don't do that. From a PR perspective, I very much appreciate a, a, re, a, a misdirection. <laughs> hey, everybody, look at this. Potential skill of mine. <laughs> it's, it's a real. It's a page out of my playbook, is what it is. Well, it's like Durant's the master of that. Where Durant will talk about his defense. He's trying yeah. to win Defensive Player of the Year, so he's talking about his defense more this year. Um, Just will it into existence? That's that's how it's done. That's the Levar Ball way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jared Allen with 16 points. Uh, yeah. Did yeah. you? You should look at his shot chart. It is the one shot he missed was eight feet away. Everything else was a dunk, essentially. Yeah. Um, but that's key because if his his uh, field goal percentage is actually bad for someone who only dunks the ball mm-hmm. and puts up shots right around the rim. You know, if you put in every dunk, that's Clint Capella, and that's you know a twenty million dollar a year player, or whatever Clint Capella is going to be. Uh, Mike, yes, all that's great, all that's well and good. Are you prepared to finally eat your steaming hot plate of golden <laughs> crow avoiding- on Karis Levert, Karis? Many-legged Levert, all the legs, Levert. Absolutely no legs. I will not give him any credit. I'll give myself credit because <laughs> I motivated him to this level. Yeah. Uh, uh, now that's the will it into existence. Trump's America spin. I like. How awesome is it, Brian? That Karis Levert is good at basketball again. How amazing uh, is this? So disclaimer: I always feel like we have to do this. It's 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 <laughs> not that interesting from the from a pod from a media perspective I want to bring everyone behind the scenes. You can't just be like, "Hey, this guy's good and he's getting better and and things are good." You know, it's it, like for example, we just started out with Alan Crabb. We have some we're holding out some faith. There's a glimmer of hope that Alan Crabb transcends this mortal coil that he's currently in and becomes a really good player. You know, like we're hoping for that. Um just just being critical of the present does not mean you don't have faith in the future. Like and we always had faith in Karis Levert's future. True or false? I did not. You did. <laughs> really? I, you didn't have faith in his future? I mean, you, you saw no. the potential there. Yeah, we both saw potential. I What I saw was I did see the potential, but I also saw like a chance that he's just going to be a frustrating player who ultimately his role would have been somewhere between the eighth and seventh player on a team, a nice bench guy, blah, blah, blah. He's better than that, though. He's been way better than that, right? I so mean, you, you think you agree that so this – like two weeks or whatever, where he's been playing out of sight, that that's the proverbial corner turned. Like it already happened. Like he is turning the corner. He's becoming the special player we had hopes for. I think he, I mean, I think he is turning the corner. I think that he, and he's not even that, he's showing me like another floor in the Karis LeVert apartment building that I didn't know existed. The mysterious Mm. 13th floor that is actually there. I previously thought he was an 11 floor player. 13th floor, maybe 15th floor. You know what comes between 11 and 13? Or is that, we're not going to... What, 12? 
<laughs> I just thought it was interesting. You went from 11 to 13. <laughs> I started with 13 because isn't like traditionally in, in buildings, there isn't a 13th floor because of superstition. Traditionally, they don't have the 12th floor. You had it right. That was, oh, they don't no... have 12th floor. No, I'm just kidding. That's no, 13th no. floor. Um, but no, he. so my ceiling for him was secondary ball handler, um, fifth, sixth player, best player on the team, can kind of fill the little gaps, but is never going to be that great. What he is showing is, in fact, a six-seven point guard who carries an entire offense off the bench, controlling everything, while also being like, if he is actually a point guard, then an incredibly tough matchup for any team. I mean, that is do you, a high ceiling. Do you want to parlay this conversation right into Kyron Darcy's voicemail to us? Because it is relevant since we're going to have a bit of a logjam uh, with our ball handling, playmaking not exact point guard 1.3 to 1.7 type players. <laughs> All right, here's Kyron Darcy via netspot at gmail.com. Send in your voicemails and emails. Here's Kyron. Hey, glue guys. This is Kyron Darcy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the backcourt situation for the Brooklyn Nets, particularly when DeAndre Russell returns. Um, with the way Karis LeVert has been playing, you would think that Kenny Atkinson would love to keep him on the ball. Um, you know, the way he's been uh, commanding that second unit and especially his connection, the chemistry that he seems to have developed with uh, Jared Allen. Um, my question is, do you think DeAndre Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie would kind of get the start uh, with Levert playing that backup point guard role? Um, do you think that's the best way that Kenny Atkins should go about it? Or do you think that Levert should be answered into the starting lineup alongside D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie kind of return to his bench point guard role? Um, Kyron, thank you so much. I had to cut you off there. I apologize. But important question, Brian, because we had been talking all along, what are you going to do with D'Angelo and then what are you going to do with Dinwiddie? It, who's going to start? Who's going to move to the bench? Or are they going to play together? Now we have this third factor in the equation, Levert, Dinwiddie, and D'Angelo. What is the perfect solution? What do you do? Um, well, first, let me broach the subject of people saying that they saw um, D'Angelo Russell <laughs> two telling, telling yeah, Kyrie Irving two <laughs> weeks. Definitely happened. Um, it's going to happen. You think, you think you say it's a definite. Do you analyze the video? No, I mean, do you, you dissected <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I broke it down. I broke it down frame by frame. Um, yeah. And that's what's that's what's going to happen. No, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it seems it, likely though. I mean, that's like the timetable, right? That's so, the complete timetable. That's what would be laid <laughs> out. It is still weird though that like so. Kenny Atkins, Atkinson spoke about it a couple of days ago, I think, about D'Angelo Russell, and he said we still have no timetable. Though I'm sure D'Angelo could tell you that he would want to play now if he could or whatever. How do you not have a timetable right now? How do you? I mean, I understand that we're in this whole thought process of oh, we're, we're not going to rush players back from injury. We're not going to treat injuries on certain timetables as well. How do you not know? Be like, he'll probably play, we think, hopefully in January. Just say that. Just say, we think in January he they, will play. They do, they do have a timetable. They just don't want to tell it to you, Mike. That's the thing. But they just don't want you to know says, it. But he literally says, we have no time. Anyways, no one wants well, to care. No that's a lie. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. it's not like it could be tomorrow or <laughs> five years from now. <laughs> that's a lie. Okay, so question. Lavert Dinwiddie, D'Angelo. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, well, so here's the thing. I think the, I, so in, in my, like the political vacuum is not like is in place. Right. So it's like, you can move any player into any position and not have it like mean anything or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in my political vacuum version of this, I want I would kind of want Dinwiddie starting next to D'Angelo Russell and bring Crab off the bench. That's sort of my my crazy you know crackpot basketball geometry theory. Um, I know that that's not going to happen. It's what I want. Yeah. And what I want doesn't ever happen. So, so that's fine. But um, I think that that makes the most like um, the most sense. Uh, what is going to happen is like they're going to do exactly the same. They're going to they're going to it's Dinwiddie's minutes are going to take a massive hit. That's that's the reality of the situation. Unfortunately, I mean, if I, if there's a different if there's another way out of this, you let me know. But I I just feel like he's going to get. He's, I, he's done his. He's also kind of. I mean, I don't get don't get me wrong. Dinwiddie, huge huge fan of him. Uh, friend of the pod. Yes. Um, you know, his, the, there was a, a peak there when, uh, he was kind of having this, this emergent moment, uh, defenders weren't planning for Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, then a lot of those responsibilities piling up, he's had a, a heck of a run and I think he's probably maybe looking forward to having a little bit less of responsibility, less of the playmaking responsibilities, uh, having a couple more scorers on the, on the court to, to assist in what he's trying to do. Yeah, I know. I agree. He's he's dropped a little bit, right? Just a little bit from from a guy who we previously talked about a month ago, saying, "Where is he on the ranking of starting point guards in the NBA?" He was somewhere within that middle third, right? I mean, yeah, you know, he's in that area. Um, I don't know if like you can go though to the team and just suddenly be like Spencer Dinwiddie, you are like I don't I know you're not saying this, but I don't think they're just going to yank all of his minutes. What I think, no. what, yeah, I think what would happen is we're going to see a lot more two-point guard lineups with a small three and, of course, continuing to see a small four. Um, like, to me, the thing that makes the most sense, it's tough to, even though, you know, like where I'm at with Alan Crabb, I'm not the most in love with the dude in terms of his performance this year. It's tough for me to see them, like, just putting him, not starting him, because then your starting lineup is Dinwiddie, D'Angelo. Then you have Carroll, who's an okay shooter but not great. Rondé, who's not a shooter, even though we love his mid-range. And then, you know, Zeller, who is just not, not going to be that factor. Like, you still sort yeah. of need – it also makes sense because you can balance the lineup. You have Crab come in, you have him go out. You have Joe Harris come in. You, those are similar players. Um, what I would love, like, if we're going to talk vacuum aside, I still want D'Angelo handling the ball as much as he can when he's in the game. I haven't forgotten how good he is. Uh, mm-hmm. I want Dinwiddie on the starting lineup like you do, and I want Levert to still. I want him to be main dog on the second unit. Like I don't want, like I want Dinwiddie yeah. to start almost because I want Levert to continue to have the ball in his hands. I don't want him to have to have a bifurcated role, if that's kind of a word, barely mm-hmm. a word. No, it is. It's a different word. Um, I want him to continue to be lead dog, second unit, getting those reps, and also like so. The, there's a funny thing that happened. The season began. The main conversation was what? How are Lynn and D'Angelo going to share the floor? Two point guards, two ball-dominant guards. How are they going to share the floor? We saw a very short period of time how they were going to do that. They were going to each play one side of the floor, basically, pass back and forth, have roll off their own picks, and kind of figure it out, and each attack different sides of the floor. I think they're just going to do the same thing. D'Angelo's going to control the ball. He's going to be the primary initiator of the offense. And, like, almost immediately, if it's not working, I think he's going to look to pass to Spencer, who should have an advantage on the other side, and who's also a decent shooter from three. So he does provide a little of shooting. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, you're not losing all that much by – so I guess what I would, would kind of want to see is I, I just want to see Crab thrown in with, like, the Joe Harris, Stauskas, like, ride, ride the hot hand turnstile, you know? 
You want to see Alan Crabb sort of get into that almost bullpen rotation of shooters? A little bit. I mean, until yeah. until there's like a, a you know significant separation between him and those other guys. I got to admit, I've been trying to throw Alan Crabb into like uh, trades a lot on NBA Trade Machine. Like my favorite thing is to put him on the Pelicans because one, they don't really know obviously what's going to happen with Demarcus Cousins. They need shooting. I think they actually shoot really well from three because Cousins and Anthony Davis are both pretty good at it. Um, but if you added him on that team, the only thing is that like you have to like what are you going to get back? And basically, the Nets are Sean Marks would be admitting defeat already on Allen Crab. And as much as we love Sean Marks, it's unlikely for a GM to just throw in the towel after thirty-five games about a sure. player, a guy who he's now doubled down on essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But just to let everyone out there know, I'm looking at Allen Crab trades. Um, <laughs> we have another voicemail. And who is this from? It's your boy, Charlie. Oh, Charlie. All right, here's Charlie. Hey, guys, what's going on? This is Charlie. I wanted to respond to what you had talked about in one of your most recent pods, Joe Harris Trades. Sean Marks, please do not (laughs) trade Joe Harris. Look, I totally get that we are in a mode right now where we are trying to acquire as much talent as possible. But at the same time, I think that Joe Harris is really valuable. I think that he has shown that he is a great overall game and he's much more than just a spot-up three-point shooter. And I feel like he is the epitome of what this Nets team is all about now, taking in players from other teams who haven't really grown yet and helping them really do that. I also am wondering if they do this, do you guys think that they kind of create a weird optic to upcoming free agents about, you know, come and sign with us and we'll ship you out if we feel like we have to. Obviously, Trevor Booker, Justin Hamilton, even though I don't particularly love Justin Hamilton, but (laughs) um, I feel like had Lynn been healthy, that also might have happened to him as well. So I just wanted to hear how you guys felt about that because it's been in my mind. I'm a big fan of the show, fellas. I also am a huge fan of where this Nets team is headed under Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks. Basically, the Nets are back. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. (laughs) The Nets are back. Thank you so much. Beautiful. I love every moment of that. So we got two things there, Joe Harris trade and then sort of the implications of making a Joe Harris trade where you're trading away veterans. You know, Once you build up the value, you're just going to trade them away, and how does that impact the free agent market. So um, where do you stand? I don't know if I've ever gotten this. Where do you stand on the Joe Harris trade idea? Like, are you just fine if they get decent value for him? Yeah. Well, so this goes into the, you know, um, the persistent unrestricted free agent, what to do with, with an unrestricted free agent um, dilemma that, that every NBA player knows to face. Um, I'll say that I don't, I don't think so. If you're trading a guy like Joe Harris right now, who's going into uh, a, a a free agency period, the, the teams that are going to go after him, that are going to give up an asset that we're, we we even consider trading for, are going to be like contending teams that need that you know that three point specialist guy. So I, I don't think the optics there are terrible. Like you've oh you've given this person a career. He's playing meaningful basketball at a presumably very high level. Very you know and and uh, probably getting a lot more eyeballs than you would um, in on the nets. So I I don't think I don't think the way that the, like the politics work in that way kind of you know that doesn't look bad for the nets necessarily. Right. Um, no, I totally I I agree with that. I mean I think like I'm against wanting to be the destination where guys come here improve value and then they just ship you off like that i don't think builds a program 
But in this circumstance, this one circumstance, Joe Harris came here, he did improve his value. And if they traded him for a decent return, uh, something respectable, not just giving away for like a top 55 protected second round pick, um, right. there's value there. Uh, the question is like, what are you going to get? So you talk about contending teams, right? Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of let's we we'll just say a lot of the emails that we get. If we don't get to your email and it was about Joe Harris, like this is we're all kind of like, let's throw it all into this one thing. Like, thank you for your email. We got a bunch of them about Joe Harris trades. Well, so. what I find is funny too is that like so the I think the number I forget where it came from, maybe the post story about it was that the number is like you may have to sign Joe Harris for five million dollars a year. Fine. Are you kidding? I mean, that's but that's not going to be the number. I don't think. Like if if they signed him a three year fifteen million dollar contract, sign me up for a three point specialist who can do a little bit of something with the ball and who's in your system already. Like if that's what the contract is, would love it. I don't think it's going to be the contract. I actually think he's going to make more money than that. He's just, yeah. it may be like a one year, $8 million deal. Just yeah. I think he's going to make more, more money, less years than, yes. than something like, yeah, yeah I, th- I think there's going to be another team that's going to pay him a certain amount of money. I don't know what the, the over the tax mid-level exception is. I, I think it's somewhere maybe around $8 million, maybe wildly off. I would think a team would want to bring him in. What can you get for Joe Harris? Um, so that's like tough to figure out. We always keep referencing Boyan Bogdanovich, sort no. of a similar player, right? But I think Joe Harris has even more appeal. Something that like maybe possibly considered here, and this is like the mega crazy deal that no one's going to like, is if you combine Joe Harris with Spencer Dinwiddie, you could get something extremely nice. From so this team. goes back to the Jabari Parker. Who who was it that that suggested Dinwiddie for Jabari Parker in our thing? Hang on, I'm so, gonna find it. You so keep talking. Bilal Bilal Jelani, ah. uh, which is funny. So he asks. He says, "Hey guys, been listening. This is netspot at gmail.com. Thank you very much for your email. Been listening for a few months. Think you're doing great. Oh, thank you. Here's my question. I've been advocating for some kind of trade for Jabari Parker to my friend since the end of the summer. How do you think it would be to get him? How much would it be to get him? I'd think Dinwiddie is where it starts. He fits with the Bucks' bill of long and athletic." guys thank you guys for the work you guys do what's well, funny obviously um if you've been listening to us all season i proposed the jabari parker karis the trade in the beginning of the season because i said they could sell high on karis because i didn't think much of him and now i was kind of wrong about that you know we all love karis LeVert. um <laughs> honestly like so so this would be a huge deal if they did this but if you combine joe harris who's on an expiring deal who's one of the better bench three-point shooters you can add in the league for a super low cost, plus Spencer Dinwiddie, who's on a low-cost contract into next season, you could get you could get a late first-round pick and a young player on a contender that is maybe on the bench. Okay, who could that be? Um, Trey Lyles from the Nuggets is a guy who the Nets could want. He's a power forward who, if you like, prorate his numbers per 36, looks fantastic. You could talk mm-hmm. about the Bucks, and they've got a couple of young players that could be interesting. And then you could try to grab a first-round pick out of them. Um, Joe Harris himself, I think, I I want to say he is a late first-round pick for a super high contending team. Like a team that just doesn't care about its first-round pick, like my Wizards. They never care about the first-round pick. Like, But if you're a team that just doesn't care about the first-round pick overall, I think he's the guy that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it's probably still a second-round pick, unfortunately. <laughs> There's, I feel like there's another, um, another email in here somewhere that talks about uh, Atkinson and like, uh, where is it? That someone was like, is that is Kenny Atkinson good? Okay, so yeah, it's Justin Radden. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a two-parter. 
Uh, thank you for hitting us up. It's your boy, Justin Radden. We desperately need to do John Cena rollouts <laughs> in, in, the, in the very near future. Um, but until then, thank you, guys. Uh, one, when Kenny Atkinson was hired, he was praised for his ability to develop talent and connect with his players. A big reason is he was such a great assistant. However, while he uh, has come as advertised, his in-game coaching seems quite questionable. Shots Atkinson fired. Is great for what Brooklyn needs right now, but let's say uh, his in-game coaching doesn't improve when the Nets' core is pretty much established and they're ready to compete. Um, so is Kenny going to be the guy? So uh, I think it's a good question, and I've been noticing in Nets' land, and this is not new. This was a carryover from last year. Uh, I mean, so you know me. I've been critical of every Nets coach's rotations ever. Like I, you know, I think rotations are like the easiest thing to be butthurt about. Um, and typically like, it's just a, like when you're looking at Reggie Evans for 30 minutes a game, it's like, it's hard not to be butthurt. Um, but, but yeah, like there hasn't been a coach in a very long time. I think Jason Kidd's probably the only coach outside of Atkinson that I haven't like had like, like uh, kind of hatred for, for his rotations. But do you know um, that like Bucks fans hate Jason Kidd? Bucks fans yeah, for rotations? They hate him for rotations and late game decisions. People are yeah. in Milwaukee ready to like throw him out of town. That's that's yeah. the, the underground fun. I, I mean, it makes sense that he was going to come back down to earth. It's like that's that 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 job does not seem right for for his temperament. No. Um, but anyways, so I, I I kind of just like fundamentally don't see what these what people are seeing when they when they are angry about his rotations. Like I I get it when like Quincy AC or Mozgov is getting like minutes, but. I mean, I, I rewatched the end of of uh, the Orlando game last night, and we happened to win. So, like, yeah, we we don't we don't win that much, and that's you know that's <laughs> the yeah. fact that we're even expected to win at all is kind of due to Kenny Atkinson and his player development. Which, like, I get he gets Justin gave him credit, and everyone does, and so that's good. But it really it can't be overstated that we're not even talking about these games being winnable unless uh, he improves Rondé Hollis Jefferson's game and. Uh, Jared Allen's game and Levert, obviously, and even Joe Harris and, and, you know, obviously Dinwiddie. So like he's hit on like five hugely important guys that are in there for late game stuff. Um, so like, I just want to make sure that like, we're really not, it can't be overstated how important he's been for these, for the development stuff. Like, could you imagine Lionel Hollins doing this with, with these guys? Well, and like, even think about like Vogel. Okay. Vogel's the coach of the magic, right? The magic for years, they've had their first round pick and multiple other first round picks for years. And we so we can talk about Aaron Gordon if we want to a little bit later. But like the guys on their team who are young guys that should have been improving haven't improved, right? Aaron Gordon's the yeah. one guy who improved. Oladipo did not improve in Orlando. Went to OKC, had that weird year, and now is in Indiana and looks amazing. Um, yeah, Fournier is like okay and way overrated. Alfred Payton, besides his hair, which is top two in the NBA, I don't even know what would be on the other person but like he hasn't done anything really and Vucevic yeah. has added a little bit more to his game but that's almost like in the way Brooke Lopez did where it's just like a talented post player extends his range and that's it so like I think people we do need to appreciate the fact that you could name five guys on the Nets who've just improved in the past 18 months because they've been under Kenny Atkinson's stead um I'm a I'm an Atkinson pretty much diehard uh I think I also think what's tough about this team to coach is that like the easiest team to coach is like a super great team like the, the Golden State Warriors where every decision you make is going to be good because you have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry on the floor. Yeah. Or a team that is 
limited in what its bench can do. Um, yeah. But this team has like eight, 10 players who are all basically the same value, right? This is this is like there's like a logical fallacy here at play, I think, that people are like, oh, because we lost in like the last four minutes of this game, it's because of the rotate. Like there is, oh, we were only like, you know, operating at 60% optimization and we could have been if you had like put in Quincy AC for Damari Carroll. It's like, just what are we talking about here? Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, and, and like, so it's good to criticize those things, right? Like, I think yeah. I forget what game it was. Um, there was a game when like Joe Harris kind of helped them come back. The Nets did. And then Joe Harris was not on the floor at the end of the game for a couple of minutes. And I, you know, we, I think we both criticized Atkinson. It's like, like there are problems. It's not like he's perfect, but I do think overall, it's like, if you would really put yourself in Kenny Atkinson's shoes and you're like, what should I do in this situation? Most of the time you'd probably agree with what he's doing. And he is, yeah. he's trying to do two purposes at the same time, which is super tough, which is development and win. And I think he's accomplishing that at a pretty decent rate. Here's here's another thing that I think people accuse him of is, like, first of all, some people are like, he doesn't know how to ride the hot hand, which is the guy, like, if you've... You, you don't have to watch or play basketball very long to understand the hot hand concept. It's it's the most rudimentary of all of all the concepts, and I'm sure Kenny Atkinson is extremely familiar with it. What he doesn't permit you is to be hot at the expense of making other mistakes. Like he doesn't like it doesn't matter what you're doing on the offensive end. If you're blowing it on the defensive end, he's going to scream in your face like he was doing with D'Angelo Russell constantly at the beginning of the season. So he doesn't like he's still got the big picture stuff in mind. Like it doesn't like, Oh great. You're making shots. We are screwing up over here in these ways. Well, so and he like, pulled out Spencer Dinwiddie. I think Spencer, I forget which game it was. Maybe it was the magic game or Celtics game. Dinwiddie took like one of his classic, uh, sort of long three point shots, you know, that he likes yeah. to do sometimes just to catch defenses off guard, but it was a bad shot. He immediately pulled him from the game, talked to him, like hit him on the head. And yeah. so like, those are the type of things. And D- Dinwiddie responded to it. Well, and I think that's a credit to Atkinson. It's pretty rare that an NBA player like accepts coaching on that level, yeah. and he did. The second question that Justin had here is interesting, though. I think we should answer this. Will Atkinson be on the bench the next time the Nets are in the playoffs? What would you say? Uh, yeah, I think I think this. <clears throat> like I'm saying, like it, things would have to really fall apart for for that not to be the case. Um, I also I think the playoffs are probably two years away um, or at least like a I mean it's what do I know what do I know what happens two years but it seems it seems not that far off uh, we're overachieving and still like I think we're you know you know vying for middle of the pack dim um, well and like so I looked at this today if the Nets pick like let's say you know the Nets pick that is going to Cleveland it would be the 10th pick in the draft right now 10th pick in the draft Brian regardless you know without outside the lottery considerations outside the moving and shuffling and at the 10th pick in the draft it's unlikely the only way it can move up is if it's in the top three you know so like one that excites me because i don't want cleveland to benefit from the nets you know badness i don't want that Uh, i don't want anyone to benefit from the nets badness anymore i can't take it anymore uh but 10th like so but if you look at the standings there's like four teams right below them that have one loss less or whatever. But that's pretty incredible that there are nine worse teams in the NBA right now than the Nets without and minus Russell. our best two players, our best two players, ostensibly. And um, can we also just like, can we shower your boy, uh, Eve Darboos, AKA Yves Darbois for, uh, stirring the pot with some <laughs> dank Aaron Gordon 
gossip. I love that. Um, anyways, he was he said on a tweet being like, uh, I overheard Aaron Gordon talking to uh, Nets players about like, hey, t- tell them, um, hey, like, what you guys are doing here? Uh, tell Shell Marks I said so. <laughs> that's, that, that's what he. That's what he's. I love about. how like this. We've gone from the D'Angelo two weeks conversation with Kyrie Irving to now yeah. the Twitter, Twitter convo. Yeah. Your boy, Ives Darbuzi. I would I would love if our podcast became just the dumping ground for, for chitter chatter. Like that are just, just seen third hand, maybe. Glue guys, aka the hand house, you know. Um so obviously Aaron Gordon would be pretty perfect for this team. Uh he fits. I mean, yes, if we could replace Quincy AC with Aaron Gordon, my as just like meaty, meaty boy <laughs> who shoots threes. Um, he, who's been playing like kind of a little bit better recently. So I, I haven't been, I have been hating I him. As much. I, my last, like the last thing that I'll say about Kenny Atkinson. Well, you know, it's difficult because like I watched, like I was saying, rewatched the last four minutes of that game. And like, it, he's kind of finishes the game with the same lineups in the last four minutes. It seems like he has a pretty consistent crunch time lineup, but watching Quincy AC, I mean, Bismack Biombo was having a game. Um, so what can you do? You're kind of stuck with Quincy A. So you got you got to have a meaty boy on a meaty boy like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's he's just he's, a meaty boy. He doesn't know any better. <laughs> he's just verging on um, what Quincy? the kind of the kind of frantic overexertion of energy that costs. Like he, he's like kind of always fighting his own guys for rebounds and stuff. And he's like, yeah. you know, he's he's like frantically like ah, like I'm sucking right now and I need to do better. And like that kind of leads to more sucking. Yeah, and it's actually the opposite of what I think Alan Crabb. Like, Alan Crabb, while he is not shooting the ball that well, like, I still think he doesn't do anything outside of himself, right? For the most part, he, he'll he keep shooting the good shots. He's not taking bad shots. Where Quincy AC, you can tell if he misses two threes, something sort of this, like, fight-or-flight mentality kind of clicks in, and he's like, oh, crap, I better, you know, get my I'm shit justify these minutes here with some crazy hustle plays. Um. Aaron Gordon, though, I mean, like, so here's sort of just the basics that you may need to know if if you kind of want Aaron Gordon on your team. He's a restricted free agent. Um, there's a couple of compelling guys out there who are restricted free agents. Now, the thing about the Nets was going to be different this offseason than ones in the past where the team was just throwing out max deals to Alan Crabb and Otto Porter um, is that the Nets are going to have about, okay, so the cap's going to be around 101, 102 next year right now they have 84 million committed on their salary at the moment uh that's including jeremy lynn's player option so that means they have about they don't have like they don't have the complete max contract space that they normally do they have some weird cap holds like nick stauskas has an 11.4 million dollar cap hold next year when he probably won't be on the team i guess all they have to do is run out but anyways here are the couple of guys just keep an eye and we'll, we'll hit this later in the season clint capella aaron gordon and rodney hood are all restricted free agents okay Jabari Parker, Dante Exum, and Yusuf Nurkic are other guys who are like kind of interesting. Who, if the Nets are trying to target someone kind of more low key, that's who they go for. Uh, I would love to see the team go after Aaron Gordon because he just fits exactly with the timeline. It would be interesting how it would affect Rondé, though. Like, are, are you as confident? Like, are you confident that Rondé is a power forward in the league and that? You don't need necessarily a starting power for it. What you may need is like a bench guy to fill the Quincy AC role. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's hard. Because he can't it's really. Rondé's really not a three anymore. Rondé kind of as, you know, as a guy who really relies on his eyeballs 
to make any kind of claims about basketball, he screws with my head because optically it still kind of looks crazy to me. Everything about it totally looks a little crazy. <laughs> totally crazy. I don't and even... yet, <laughs> what? Well, and yet it's working. So it's like yes. it's it's like you know you're I'm, I'm always trying to qualify like every everything. It's I'm so used to not, like shots not falling for him and everything kind of like looking a lot more herky jerky and not working out and and the herky jerkiness is still there but things just seem to be dropping in it's, everything seems a little bit riper juicier um, and, and it's not like a because it is weird because the whole process leading up to the shot is totally ridiculous and unlike any other player in the league but yet it goes into the hoop beautifully it's not a weird sort of just freakish shot or someone who you know is riding a hot streak yeah. it looks it's purposeful everything he's doing like is what he wants to be doing on the floor and it is working perfectly. It's um, really strange. It's like Sean Marion, like ceiling minus the three point shooting. Like if he adds a, a three point shot in there some along the way, like I feel yeah, like I don't know though. The, I don't know the way he scores is like not. Let me see what Sean Marion's best years were. It, the way Rondé scores is like not classically. Like, like I don't feel like his his shooting translates to the three point line, right? Because like everything he does is. Like you're saying, the herky jerky sort of turnaround jumper, using his body, using the glass, using athleticism to shoot the ball and then score, sort of like Sean Marion. We're like, I don't know who you would say it to, but like when Brooke Lopez would shoot jumpers, it was like a perfect form shot. It's just that he was a center and he wasn't told to shoot threes. His extension to the three point line made sense because, you know, he just had to get form and he had the form, so he just had to move out to the three point line. Um, Honestly, I think the only thing that are miss that's missing from this comparison is it's pretty freaking on track, dude. The only thing that's off is uh, the rebounds. Sean Marion was a pretty dope rebounder. He had like he was averaging seventeen and ten in his second season at twenty two, yeah. which Rondé's is like fifteen and six and a half or something like that. Which you know, being seventy five percent of what Sean Marion is that's a that's a long NBA career right there. I'm just so glad to have Rondé on this team because, like, so much of the Houston Rockets style of basketball where everyone just shoots threes and they all sort of play the exact same way besides James Harden and Clint Capella, it's like I'm glad there's, like, still room in the NBA for a guy who, you know, is not an overpowering player but is athletic and can use the mid-range to his little advantages that he does. That is a fun player to watch. Like, I wouldn't want my entire team to be like Rondé, but I like one guy on the team to be like Rondé. And he's been awesome this year. So the point of that was, is Rondé the starting power forward of the future, or do we go after guys who are, I mean, ultimately it should be said, we should have said this earlier, unattainable because the Magic are going to match anything that we offer. You would think. I mean, you they, would think. He's the one good thing they have going for them. Um, yeah. Clint Capella is a different situation, and but we have Julia Okafor, who's going to start, Not well, maybe not start, but he's going to play against the Timberwolves, Brian. This yeah. national nightmare that is over. I think that that's we we had somebody who was about to uh, ask us about that. One of these emails, right? Didn't we have a Okafor email? Yeah, so I'll, Maybe I'll a, stall while you look. Uh, it was Jaleel, a Twitter. Yeah, Julia Okafor. Uh, this is what Kenny Atkins said before Monday's game against the Magic. He said about Okafor, he's close. I expect to see him against Minnesota. Now it has been confirmed. I think we'll start to get him some minutes. He's been doing a phenomenal job getting ready physically with our assistant coaches, learning what we're doing collectively. We feel like he's ready to get some minutes. So, your boy Shook Jones, 
at shook underscore Jones on Twitter. Uh, thanks for hitting us up. I guess Twitter is a way to get in touch with us too, you know? Um, but we always love voicemails and emails. That's, that's our preferred way. We're just old school like that. Um, so he says, what does uh, Okafor need to do to succeed? Um, well, I've been noticing, you know, on the like company Instagram and stuff that they're basically trying to make him shoot threes. That, that seems to be like, they're not going to, he's not going to play on this team for very long if he's not capable of making threes. That seems to be what they're trying to communicate. And that, that's good because it's like you take a, a guy like just cross sport comparisons. I love him so much. Uh, taking an NFL quarterback who's mobile, but can't really throw, take him to the NFL and saying, here, just be wide receiver basic and like making that harsh cutoff. I, I would like that they're with Okafor. Hopefully what they'll do with him be like, we want you to do what you're good at, but we also actually want to evolve you a little bit because mm-hmm. I don't think he can just be old Okafor, just post player. That's it. Consume the ball, consume possessions. That's the only like he has to evolve in some way. Um, and if yeah, he could he just, has to, what? No, he has to let the past die. He has to His, kill it. Ooh, Star Wars, <laughs> the last Jedi. I, I haven't seen it yet. It's just from the trailer. Just still quoting the trailer. That's all you really need to know. About the movie, <laughs> basically everything you knew about Star Wars is different. That's what all the nerds are saying. I disagree. I love what Ryan Johnson did with it. He could be my director anytime. Um, wow. Also, Kenny Atkinson did say that Jared Allen and Okafor are going to play together some. Um, it'll be interesting to see that happen when it does happen. The only way that would work is if Okafor is shooting threes, right? Because Jared Allen is not that yet. Jared Allen can't shoot four foot shots, so. You're not going to put him out of the three-point line. I'm excited to see him get some run, and the Timberwolves are a super interesting team for him to do that against. You know, you have Carl Anthony yeah. Towns out there. They have Taj Gibson. They have actual post players, even though Carl Anthony yeah. Towns plays out mostly in the three-point line now. Um, it is interesting the fact that I wonder what's going to happen with Zeller's minutes because I do find him – I still like him on the floor. I ultimately – I think the center that will be getting the most minutes, though, out of those three, will still be Jared Allen, right? I mean, the they're not gonna they're not gonna cut Jared Allen back because of Okafor. The I mean, everybody wants to see the Jared Allen Karis Levert connection. That's that's all the people want. That's it's, what the people are clamming for. It's kind of insane how how clean that is. It's really clean. It's a it's an actual thing. It's not like a it's no. Sort of it like, happens too often. It happens all the time. And he looks for him completely, and it makes sense because. You know, the height advantage that Karis Levert has on most guys who are going to be guarding him should help him get the ball to post players. Well, what's cool, too, is that he he fakes them out by going high. He, like, looks high and then always wraps it around him, does something low and clever. He's, like, he's really a, a real tricky guy to guard. Dude, how about that that shot at the end of that Magic game that Levert had where he got the ball at the top of the key, drove to the hoop, got the contact, kept it going, Made the bucket and that won. was the real the real big boy moment that let me know that because like we've been dying dying for crunch time scores since D'Angelo went down like so bad like I I blame all of these close losses on just not having that dude that you can you know that can hit guarded like you know deeply contested shots yes um and Levert is emerging as the second dude that can do that on this team like didn't what he wanted to be and he's like you know that that deep three was like he's like i feel like i can do this late in games and just was not falling and you can't do that too many times before people take you side like dude that's not that's not the move yeah that's not sustainable we love it just not sustainable getting to the bucket and getting fouled 
is a sustainable late game move that you should be able to do. That was just like, oh my, that felt like a real like aha moment, real like I'm a basketball player who has a lot of potential. Yeah. Fully flexed on those, flex those, those string beans at him. Because uh, you say about Jared Allen, there's like a meaning under there, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little meaning in Karis LeVert. There's a little little tough guy. So he flexed. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's say goodbye. Oh, you want to tie a bow on it? Um, yeah. Thank you all for your contributions. We love them. We need them. We hopefully, I uh, kind of talked to Brian about this, but he doesn't really know quite yet. We hopefully will be having some interviews coming up in the next few weeks. Um, some fun stuff. Um, Brian? Yo. I'm going to play your drop as our final, uh, <laughs> as our outro. As, as our outro. Um, I love it. Hey, thanks, everybody. Um, and if you have a minute, a spare minute, we almost have 100 reviews on iTunes. You could be the next one. If you write us a thing, we'll shout you out as the 100th. So um, please, it helps a lot, you know, just with that SEO stuff. It's very technical. It's very uh, heady stuff. Um, so <laughs> if you, if you could though, it, it does help the show and it's real cheap. So hook us up, hook up your boys, Mike, get us out of here. Yeah, boy. Yeah.